0: Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Feel free to subscribe and tell your friends. Coming up on today's show, the mayor of Hamilton joins us to discuss a new arena. Or maybe not. QB has announced their support staff will strike in Ontario schools as of Monday. What does that mean for your kid? And breaking down the French language debate, is there anything we can learn for the English debate coming up next week? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Yesterday City Council heard from Michael Andlauer, of course, uh, from the Hamilton Bulldogs, owner of the Bulldogs, interested in an arena, uh, specifically a proposal up at Lime Ridge Mall. Uh, Fascinating idea, fascinating discussion. However, uh, at the end of the day everyone has been thinking about the downtown not the upper city. Great idea, great deal, but is it what the city is looking for? Uh, Boy, isn't this is a tough dilemma to be in let's bring in the mayor of city of hamilton fred eisenberger he is with us now mayor fred thanks for the time as always much appreciated
1: yeah, we haven't talked for a while Scott.
0: i know how's that lrt coming along
1: the only thing we've ever talked about but...
0: exactly
1: exactly hang on a second yeah. i got another
0: ball for you to throw in the air here keep that one up too mm. Uh, yep. uh, well, we'll, we'll sidetrack on the LRT for now. Anyway, so as I was reading all this, I'm thinking, you know what? Um, boy, this is not a bad position to be in. Obviously, it's going to take some debate and what have you to figure it all out. But when you have someone coming into the city and offering it or coming uh, to you I- into your offices and offering you money, um, that's something we haven't seen in a long time. Well, I shouldn't say that. We've seen it a lot recently, but it was a long time coming.
1: Yeah, and to be uh, to be fair to Mr. Andelauer, he's been a, a great uh, hockey owner in the city of Hamilton. Uh, he, uh, you know, when he had his AHL team here, he, uh, you know, decided to move it, and then uh, purposely went out and bought an OHL team to continue to provide a hockey product in the city of Hamilton, and and uh, you know has been playing at the uh, you know, First Ontario Center for you know better part of twenty years or more as a, as a hockey owner. So a lot of respect for that. Uh, having said that. You know, I think the city was on the path of uh, you know looking at what uh, what zero cost opportunities could there be in terms of land value downtown that uh, could generate uh, enough investment dollars that uh, could could justify any participants out there to build us a, a new uh, ten thousand seat arena. You know, or it's actually a sports and entertainment arena, which uh, you know I think aligns itself much more to a concert and concert goers but also would accommodate hockey in keeping with what uh, Mr. And I was talking about, which is a, you know, a smaller scale for the facility that, uh, you know, tends to get dwarfed in the, uh, the the arena they're playing in now. So we've got an 18,000 plus uh, seat arena. Uh, the attendance for most hockey games is uh, 2,500 to 3,000. And so it's kind of out of sync. So uh, we have to balance all of that. So the 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 original, the original intention was and I think the intention still is to to look at given the current market situation that we have and given the age of the uh, you know the First Ontario Center and some of the, the the work that's we know down the road has to happen in terms of investment, what is the best course of action for the city of Hamilton to take given the assets that we have?
0: Is there any way you can do both? Is there any way you well, can do yeah, a small version of uh, of what Ann Lauer wants up at Lime Ridge and do a smaller version of First Ontario downtown?
1: Well, a smaller version, uh, you know, I think I think that's difficult for the city in terms of the dollars that uh, are being asked yeah. for the smaller version in the mall. I mean, we're not we're not talking a zero cost kind of scenario. We're talking about uh, a taxpayers' dollars to the tune of a hundred million dollars or more. And uh, on property that we don't own and, uh, you know, in, in, in an area that right. doesn't have the kind of critical mass that mm-hmm. I think you need for an entertainment facility. And we had Ernst & Young kind of do a complete review for us, a 60-page report identifying why you need to have that kind of symbiotic relationship with other facilities, the convention facility, for instance, and or restaurants downtown and or near Waterfront, all the things that people might want to participate in if they're coming to a convention or going to a concert and, uh, and they want to spread their wings right. in terms of uh, providing additional dollars in the community. that You do not get that same impact uh, up at uh, up at uh, Ridge Mall. What I think, uh, you know, we opened the door to, uh, not too long ago, I put forward a motion saying that uh, we ought to allow for residential development on large mall commercial locations. Uh, that was passed and approved, and it opens the door for a Cadillac Fairview to look at, uh, other than retail, look at you know residential developments that can offset some of the retail losses that they're currently experiencing and provide more housing for the city of Hamilton. I have no doubt that that's going to happen at Limeridge Mall. That's probably going to happen at Eastgate Square as well and any other major plaza mm-hmm. that's looking to uh, capitalize on uh, the land space that they have and, uh, and recover some of the losses they're experiencing now in retail as a result of the Amazons of this world or the Googles or all the other online activity that's going on up there. So there's a need for malls to repurpose and rethink where they are. I'm not sure that uh, for Hamilton right now, given the cost differential, the parking facility that they're talking about as part of the proposal, uh, the lack of, uh, you know, symbiotic uh, facilities in the area that would uh, make for a kind of a destination location that they could spread their wings and, and get benefit from. I don't, know, I don't know that you get that on the mountain. You definitely get that at the lower city. And, and I have to say, lastly, this is not a upper city, lower city issue. Uh, that is really not where we're at. It's really where, where does it best fit? Based on the assets that we have, and what are we trying to achieve here in terms of a sports and entertainment facility at about ten thousand seats?
0: On that note of it, an upper city and lower city thing—we've gone past that, haven't we? I mean, uh, Hamilton City has has certainly rejuvenated itself and 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 establishing its own roots now and growing on its own. Is there still that issue because it is an upper and lower thing?
1: I think, I think some people are trying to make it so. I don't think it's true at all. I think, uh, you know, we've now got investment happening right across the board. We're exactly. All, all areas in our city that have need for green space and have need for recreation facilities. No, no area in the city is excluded from that. Uh, we want commercial development on the mountain. Uh, I desperately want uh, Cadillac Fairview to look at residential opportunities up and down uh, Wentworth and all of those kind of empty uh, parking lot spaces that sit empty most of the time are good opportunities for them to generate um, uh, more housing, some some affordable housing, and when, when the need certainly is great, and and generate more revenue for them in terms of repurposing their mall space. So uh, all of those opportunities are there, and I have no doubt, in the absence of an arena at libraries, that investment is going to happen.
0: Uh... Can, uh, can we refit or reuse, repurpose whatever it is that's going to happen to the Convention center, a uh, first Ontario complex, uh, in time to satisfy Mr. An because obviously he's talking about timing be an issue being an issue here as well. How far along are we from realistically revamping that whole area?
1: well i mean the uh the, the, the building itself is uh is is not in a bad state of repair. I know that that's the message that seems to be getting out there because the escalators uh, you know haven't been working uh, properly or the elevators both of those issues are being fixed and repaired and should be done by i, I think april of uh, of uh twenty twenty so they're in process so we had an assessment done on the uh, underground uh piping that uh, that is the ice making capacity and the assessment is that uh, there really isn't a, an immediate problem, and the likelihood of anything, uh, you know, coming up in the next five years is, uh, you know, close to zero, if not zero, not, notwithstanding any calamity that might happen, who knows. But, there are, you know, it's in good shape, and so there's no issue in terms of ice-making capacity. So we're, we're not talking about a facility that's, uh, that's falling apart around us. Uh, this, is not a, uh, you know, this is not a terrible venue to operate in. Uh, I would hope to think that, uh, you know, on the short term, as we sort these issues out, that uh, Mr. Andelauer can accept that uh, for a few more years, uh, you know, playing in that location is uh, is, is going to be a positive, not a negative, especially because of the the short-term investments that we're making. And then over the long term, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're sitting on a, an arena size that was built for the NHL, and, uh, you know, Today, uh, if if an NHL team were to come, and it certainly uh, you know it still remains an aspiration, but if it were to happen, it is likely that we would re- need a whole new arena anyway. Yeah. And so whoever has those deep pockets, and you know it's it's got to be a, a billionaire plus that uh, would be prepared to pay, I think the seven hundred million dollar I think licensing fee that the NHL now charges, and the yeah. ability to create a new arena, it would require. More boxes, uh, more concession space. I mean, the, the so it have to be
0: redone anyway.
1: It has to be redone anyway. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I I don't know that uh, that us rethinking the the use of this location uh, is a bad idea. Maybe taking advantage of the land value right now, which is uh, you know upwards of fifteen million dollars per, per acre per hectare, I should say. Uh, so if you if you look at the totality of that, there's a, there's a lot of money tied up there in terms of land value. How can we use that asset? To generate uh, more developments, uh, more residential development, which is what we need, uh, partly affordable housing, partly uh, you know uh, uh, paid for uh, through the kind of the regular uh, you know markets, and uh, and other developments surrounding that, including uh, an arena or a, a sports facility that might be be able to be built uh, with the revenues that are generated on the, on the locations that we already own that's really the concept here and so not another dime from the taxpayers uh, let's look at our assets can we utilize those assets to generate a new facility that's more in keeping with what the future holds for hockey in hamilton which is not uh nhl sized uh, arena and if that comes uh, we'll still have to look at another location for for that that space and at the same time Seventy-five percent of the activity at First Ontario Centre right now is uh, entertainment facilities, it's okay. concerts. It's not hockey. It's twenty-five percent hockey, seventy-five percent entertainment issues. Are you concerned? So, yeah. Are you concerned,
0: Fred, about reducing the size of that arena? Because although it is, like you said, built for an NHL team, it still does allow us uh, occasionally to get in major concerts. Are you concerned about shrinking the size
1: of that? Yeah, and it's, it's a consideration that we're going to have to look at. We, we also said last night that we also want to look at how, how can we repurpose the existing facility so that we can uh, upsize it and downsize it yeah. as required. Uh, that's another option that's on the table. And so, uh, you know, this is going to take some time to sort out, and uh, I would like to think that uh, Mr. Andelauer could wait. I can tell you that, uh, you know, on, on previous meetings that we had, I actually steered them to away from Requeston Park. I don't know if if you you probably know where Requeston Park is, which is Mm -hmm. the other side of the lake. It's the Mountain mountain Gage Park, set aside a number of years ago to accommodate the mountain residents. Uh, His initial thought was, let's put the arena in one section of that park close to the highway. And I simply said, look, you can bring that to council if you want, but I can't think of an individual on council that would support that nor anyone else in the community of coughing up green space why not look at the Limers Mall location on a private sector basis? In other words, partner with Cadillac Fairview, uh, make it a, uh, a fulsome entertainment complex, not just an arena, and do it with, uh, with private dollars, and then you do not have to worry about City of Hamilton timeline. <clears throat> you, can, you, can move, you can do that tomorrow. He can, come, he can bring up an application tomorrow that says, uh, you know, I'm partnering with Cadillac Fairview, I have a plan to do this, I have the money lined up, uh, all I need is your approvals. That can happen, uh, you know, as quick as uh, as a blink. So, yeah. Obviously, uh, you know, them, uh, you know, paying the full shot for an arena uh, is is something they're going to have difficulty with, and they 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 looked at that opportunity and decided that that wasn't something that was feasible for them. And so we're now we're back to what kind of a partnership can we create, and uh, and how are we going to work together to get to the size arena that uh, Mr. Lindellauer is interested in. Uh, they're all that we're also almost interested in. He's talking about six thousand. We're talking about ten. Uh, how do we come together and create something that uh, we can both live with, but gives us the impact that the, the city's looking for, and certainly in the downtown. And doesn't cost the taxpayers, uh, uh, you know, additional dollars to actually make happen. So what message,
0: What message, Mr. Mayor, do you have to Hamiltonians who are sitting there sort of on their hands watching this going, uh-oh, what's happening now, <laughs> considering everything we've well, been and- through? What, what, what do you have, in like 30 seconds, a minute, what do you have to say to them?
1: Uh, I say be patient. Uh, you know, these things take time to sort out. They're complex. There's many, many parts in, in terms of the, the, the downtown play. You're, you're looking at more than just an arena development. You're looking at residential development and whatever else creative things that uh, folks can come up with. You're looking at pulling together a consortium of some sort that can actually uh, have the resources to, to, to do that and pull all of that together. So it's going to take some time. And I, I, I've said to Mr. Andelauer, you know, if you want to go quickly, uh, on your own dime, on the mountain, you can go tomorrow. Uh, if you want to work with the city, it's going to take more time to actually sort through these issues. And once we do, then uh, then we can work together in tandem to uh, to move forward. I think uh, we can move more quickly than uh, you know originally estimated, which was like a five year window. But in the meantime, we're investing in uh, in our cost Coliseum facility, First Ontario Center, I should say, uh, on the short term to make sure that it's functional and it's in good good repair. And uh, there's no problem with, uh, you know, hockey continuing on there for the short term for, for Mr. Andelauer. So I don't think there's any worry that we're going to be stranded and not have an arena to, uh, to, for them to play in and, and for us to enjoy in terms of concert.
0: Fred Eisenberger has been with us, Mayor City of Hamilton. Mayor Fred, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated.
1: Always a pleasure, Scott. Thank you.
0: You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're going to bring in Harvey Bischoff, President Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. Reason uh, being, uh, uh, the, Harvey, the president of uh, Harvey Bischoff, the president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, uh, has tweeted that his members will be supportive and respectful of Cupid picket lines, but teachers and the OSSTF support staff have to report to work. Boy, there's a fine line to cross, and Harvey is with us. Now, Harvey, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
2: Yeah, my pleasure, Scott. So,
0: uh, does this put you and your members in a precarious situation because of where you are?
2: Um, no, I don't think it's precarious. Um, I, we, uh, as as you uh, as you quite rightly said, um, you know, the instruction to my members is. Uh, Certainly, we share the same goals as QP in terms of defending the publicly funded education system and the services that are provided to students. But as long as we have an active collective agreement in place, which, which my members do, they're required to go to work and, and you know not going to work would put them in jeopardy of uh, discipline from their employer.
0: Is this a message? Uh, well, what's the purpose of this message? Is, is this message more to the teacher, or sorry, the parents and the students of uh, that may be affected?
2: The purpose of my message to my membership, correct? It, will, it very. Uh, it, it's to demonstrate solidarity with uh, with CUPE's goals, but also um, I have an obligation to uh, to make sure that my members know what their responsibilities are, so that they don't find themselves. Uh, accidentally in some sort of uh, employment jeopardy. And so we're, you know, we're simply doing our job by telling them what their obligations are.
0: Uh, any chances that any of these other unions, obviously you can't speak for them, will uh, stand shoulder to shoulder with QP and, and start similar job actions as a result?
2: You know, I, I can't speak for them and I, and I just wouldn't. It's not a road I'm prepared to go down. Uh, what about for your, for your specific union? well we're in negotiations right now um we uh we you know hope that we make some progress there um we are not yet at the stage of having taken strike votes and maybe all of that can be averted if we can uh, get to a deal before uh, you know before that sort of circumstance arises so we're focused on getting to the table on putting proposals on the table that are good for ontario students and uh Hoping we have a willing partner across the table from us.
0: Uh, how are your negotiations going? Uh, give us a bit of an idea of the timeline and, and how things may move forward.
2: Yeah, in in a word, slowly. But uh, hmm. so we we did have to go through a rather lengthy process in order to de- to determine what would be bargained at the central table. That process has been completed. We've had one day at the central table for uh, each of my uh, groups of members, so one day for my support staff members, one day for my teacher members. Um, there were certainly no surprises there in terms of the government positions. Um, they've put nothing on the table in terms of proposals that are uh, supportive of quality education. Um Rather, it's uh, you know they've taken an entirely different approach. That's all about uh, all about costs rather than investment in education. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's it's a slow start. We have dates set again for next week. So are
0: there timelines for job action? Many are concerned if this or how this may affect the federal election, considering we're seeing so much cross-campaigning going on now. Um, Can you give us any sort of timeline as to whether, in regard to the October 21st election, where any of this may fall?
2: So I'd say a couple things about that. We have no arbitrary timelines. If we're making progress at the table, then we will simply stay at the table and continue to bargain um and and you know we won't require other action um and and quite frankly the the federal election um is is not uh, part of our uh not part of our thinking uh what we're trying to do is um go to the table make sure that what happens there supports uh the services that my members provide to students um, and that my members get a reasonable deal out of it at the end. Uh, and that's, that's our focus as opposed to uh, what's happening uh, you know, with regard to the federal election.
0: Uh, we're seeing uh, federal politics, and I know you don't want to go here, and so I'll try to side-skirt it as best I can. Um, uh, we're seeing federal politics starting to bleed into provincial issues. Do you think there is a chance that your members may strike before the election or have some sort of job action before the election? Federal there's election. no,
2: there's no, um, there's really no prospect of that happening. We haven't yet taken strike votes in order to get to, uh, to in order to get to the position of being in a in, in a legal strike position. Um, there are several steps that you have to go through. You have to get a conciliator in from the labor board. That conciliator has to issue something called a no board report. You have to wait 17 days after that no board has uh, report has been issued in order to be in a legal strike position. So we're we're still many steps away from that.
0: So you don't see this uh, conflicting or or overlapping with the federal election in
2: any way? Simply put, the timelines wouldn't even allow for it. Right, right.
0: So what advice do you have for uh, parents and students as we all sort of wade through this?
2: Well, I guess my my best advice at this point would be please um, reach out to decision makers, reach out to MPPs um, and, uh, and reinforce for them the importance of the publicly funded education system, of the services their students, uh, their their children get there, um, of the avenues to those those kids' futures that are opened up by a properly funded uh, education system. And frankly, they should be talking to their MPPs about the hit on Ontario's future economy if we fail to graduate the kind of high-quality graduates and the kinds of numbers that we're currently um, you know, that, that we currently support through our education system.
0: Uh, maybe you can clarify or help clarify, Harvey, what numbers are you getting as far as enrollment? Because we've seen, uh, we're hearing numbers that it's been stagnant for the last uh, 10 or so years, maybe a bit over uh, 10 years. Um, And then that in the next five years, they're predicting it may grow a bit. What are the numbers? Are there, and we've had this discussion before, are there an overabundance of teachers in the system right now? And by that, I mean, even those waiting to get in.
2: Yeah. So uh, let me. Take two approaches. To that to, to answer the first question. Um, so certainly, we went through a period of declining enrollment that has now turned around. In the elementary schools, enrollment is already uh, sort of you know across the province on average is is on the upswing, and that uh, bulge is uh, set to move into the secondary system. Um, and in fact, we're we will see um, growth in in secondary schools over the next several years. Over the last number of years, while there were improvements in the ratios of of both teachers to students and um, other education professionals, uh, education assistants and, and so forth, um, there were improvements in those ratios that went hand in hand with improvements in the graduation rate. So you go back 16 years ago, our graduation rates were about 20% lower than they than they are right now. We now graduate 87% of the kids who you know who enter a grade nine uh, enter enter grade nine, 87% of those kids graduate. One out of five more kids is prepared to. Um, move into post-secondary, take on uh, an apprenticeship in a skilled trade, which is, you know, let's face it, a crying need in this province right now for uh, skilled tradespeople. Um, so it's not as if these improved ratios haven't led directly to improved outcomes for kids and for the economy that those kids are graduating into.
0: All right, Harvey Bischoff has been with us, president Ontario Secondary Schools Teacher uh, Su- uh, <laughs> Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. Harvey, thanks for the time and insight; much appreciated.
2: My pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to the
0: Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let's move on. Speaking of differences and similarities, last night was the French debate. You didn't watch? You didn't watch the French language uh, federal election leaders debate last night? How come? uh it happened and of course we're all getting little snippets of here and there uh the other uh full debate will be next week and then a a french debate following that the three of them will be it as far as all four leaders or sorry the main leaders rather including the prime minister uh being there let's bring in tim powers vice chairman summa strategies as well has has served as advisors to national party leaders and cabinet ministers he is with us now man that's a mouthful tim how are you today
3: God, I am okay. I watched the debate, even though my French language abilities are, like my geographic abilities of inner Hamilton, not that great. But uh, it was still interesting to take in.
0: What What were your thoughts? What's your takeaway? Because I did not see it.
3: Um. Well, I, I did sort of that old school thing. I used to teach this stuff about communications, and you can sometimes get a sense of people by turning off sound and watching it. Mm. So I did a little bit of that, uh, and and then listened to it as well. I think, I, I think the commentary out so far is generally right. I think Blanchette, the block leader, probably did the best. He yeah. looked most comfortable. He... Uh, certainly has a a message he's trying to drive in Quebec that uh, if you're not happy with those other guys, all those Federalist guys, I am the party that can give Quebec a voice. And in an election where there is no overwhelming narrative of stay or go as it relates to Quebec or some rallying cry around things to do, you might want to hedge your bet as Quebecers have done in the past, and he seemingly was good at that. I, to be fair to the prime minister, I think it maybe was one of his better performances of this election campaign. Um, he also is a native uh, son of Quebec and uh, speaks uh, French exceptionally well. He wasn't uh, his usual sort of preachy self. Um, I think Sheer got him in one moment when he talked about the issue of the two planes, and we can talk about that later. Uh, Mr. Scheer, uh, of the four, is the one who's not as comfortable in the French language, had some moments where he struggled. Um, uh, they certainly went after him, all of the the other three leaders, on where he stands on uh, abortion and same-sex marriage and the like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which was to be expected. I mean, he survived and, and had a good moment when he went after Trudeau. So I think he'd have to give the thing to, to Blanchet. Uh, Trudeau second and then Mr. Singh and Mr. Shear surviving the, the whole encounter.
0: Time for the alternative you talked about the block again It was the block was nothing not that long ago now all of a sudden people are looking for alternatives um, uh, they may be looking for alternatives in Quebec are they looking for alternatives in the rest of the country we've sort of seen the NDP and the Greens kind of playing out so how come that's working in Quebec not necessarily across the country or is uh, it?
3: Because because well, I think the Bloc's ironically an established entity, right? Yeah, so yeah. there's some comfort in, in the devil in which you know in the Bloc right. Quebecois. I think the Bloc always makes an argument that look, uh, we we, you know, we're very unique. Unlike say uh, any of the other pro- any of the other provinces, we have this one particular party that only runs candidates here, and you can vote for us. In the last two elections, when the Bloc um, had really gone down quite uh, significantly. They won 10 seats in 2015 and only four in 2011. Of course, in 2011, they had native son Jack Layton for the NDP, who was able to give voice to many of the issues that the block uh, deal with, including, um, on, on environmental and socially progressive issues. And they had Mr. Mocair, who was running for the NDP in 2015, also uh, another Quebecer. So I think, um, uh, having neither of those characters there, Mr. Singh not super uh, accepted in Quebec, uh, as we know, the issue of uh, of his uh, ethnicity has been one that publicly has been talked about before. So Blanchet capitalizing on that, and the rest of the country. Why, well, it's so hard to tell right now, right? There is no, the greens seem to be petering a little bit uh, after thundering out of the gates, um, and it, there just seems to be this pox on houses right now because from our polling and from other polling, none of the leaders has a greater net positive than they do uh, net negative. Uh,
0: What about Jugmeet Singh at uh, the debate last night, specifically in regard to uh, Bill 21 and the encounter he had uh, with a person in Montreal uh, yesterday? How is all of that playing out?
3: Um well they're all listen all of them are I mean the block is pretty all over bill 21 cuz it can be they're not a national party the three federal leaders frankly in my view are all a bit cowardly cowardly on all of this like they're all playing uh playing it safe and cautious because yeah. they want to attract some of those um francophone voters outside Montreal who are supporters of this bill but your specific question uh you know I think Singh handled that encounter very well, Um, whether that turns into him winning a few votes and potentially holding on to some seats, it's to be seen. I think Mr. Singh, I said this to you before, through the blackface controversy, has performed really well. And the
0: way he handled that person yesterday, I mean, my goodness. Yeah,
3: and it's an elderly gentleman who's coming up with his particular view, whether he views it as racist or not, or offensive or not. Singh didn't call him out he didn't insult him he said something to the effect well sir my sort of canada you can do this and it wasn't snarky or and uh, you know they've seen the prime minister deal with protesters or people with different views in that vein so again i thought he did well uh, and bizarre, as he
0: walked away, the guy said uh, he, he, uh, he was going to vote for him, or he favored him, or he seemed Yeah, I to- didn't see
3: that part. I didn't catch that part. But, uh, you know, that, that's a good way to handle a difficult encounter. And, and he handled it well, but does it translate into votes? Or is it, as I was about to say, the die cast on the NDP yeah. was a cast before the election campaign.
0: Uh, what about S N C Lobelin? How did that play last night?
3: <laughs> well, I sure was getting a bit of a pummeling from Blanchette, the block leader, for for not uh, uh, not recognizing uh, the importance of SNC in the jobs angle, you know, the defense you heard Trudeau mount, Blanchet was was leading the charge on on all of that. Uh, so uh, it it has it was sort of cast in that debate as yeah, it was about saving jobs. So Justin Trudeau's pulse uh, probably stayed in the low fifties then at that point because <laughs> uh, he, he was he will believe he was justified. And I tell you one of the most interesting points in my. My uh,
0: one of my business. What was Shear's here. reaction to that? I didn't precisely Wh- see that, um, so I don't know what his. So basically, was- the block leader said, "So what's wrong with that? He's saving jobs." Yeah. So I could just imagine the look on Andrew Shear's face at that point. Yeah.
3: Uh, um, although Mr. Shear was controlling his facial expressions because he, like some of us normally has a nervous smile and he yeah. smiles even though he wants to perhaps frown he, he didn't do much of that last night so he's learned i will say this for the conservative leader clearly being the subject of a lot of the attacks uh, is a reflection of the fact that you know he has some Potential in the country and some potential in Quebec. So it can take some comfort from all of that. But I heard, I, I didn't see this exchange, but I gather according to my business partner, it was a great exchange about what the conservatives were going to do on the environment and carbon taxation. And sure had a very good line about, well, okay, you know, you're going to bring all this, these, these carbon taxes forward. And what about all these Quebecers who drive F-150s? Because he made a point that the Ford F-150 is the, uh, the uh, most purchased yeah. vehicle in, in yeah. the back, And that's the kind of thing that Tories have been doing, trying to drive it into people's pocketbooks, right? Whether that works in the end, I don't know, but their campaign has really been about pocketbook, pocketbook, pocketbook.
0: Uh, What about uh, news that's coming out today in regard to him talking about everybody's trying to pin him on the abortion issue and how he feels? Uh, Obviously, he's a religious man, uh, and he uh, expressed that today and said that he doesn't uh, agree with abortion. However, uh, he's certainly not opening that book. We're keeping things the way they are. We're not going backwards on this. How does that resonate? I think that's better by
3: him. Um, I mean, the prime minister, I believe, has, has described himself as being pro-life as well i think the challenge mr shear had is there was he didn't get into that you know how did he come to that particular perspective not his pro-life view but the fact that uh there would be no revisiting of abortion did he have a uh you know a secret agenda and uh that that's better from him uh i'm sure it won't put to rest the attacks the liberals will try and make uh on him because those have had some Impact, uh, but uh, but that's better by him. Uh,
0: Why can't he just say, uh, you know, uh, the law is staying the way it is. We're not opening this debate again. And my own religious beliefs are my own religious beliefs, and I respect. He has,
3: but we live in. He has said that. He said that, but we live in this confessional age, uh, and you have in Mr. Singh and Mr. Trudeau two politicians who've gone perhaps further than others in the past of sharing their thoughts and their journey. Mr. Shear's a bit uh, more of a traditional politician and not having done that, so he's kind of being squeezed a little bit because he's not done the the Scott Thompson or the Oprah Winfrey interview, you know, to jump on the couch, as Tom Cruise did. Our couch is
0: always open to you and him. You (laughs) can jump together. Uh, There you go. Is there a double standard when it comes to respecting one's religion? Absolutely. I mean, we all
3: know that's the case, right? I mean... uh, but I think with younger voters, whether they don't necessarily view it as a double standard, you can be a Catholic, but you get still and and you and pro life being one of the key values of many Catholics, you you still need to tell us why, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, there's absolutely a double standard, uh, and I think it's more acute among younger voters. Who but want in this that day professionalism. of
0: professionalism, but in this day of respecting everyone's religion, does he not deserve his as well? Uh, I'm not a religious guy yet. I'm defending one. You know? yeah,
3: yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, certainly he does, but I don't you know all all's not fair in love and war, right?
0: So will this resonate? will uh, because you know we we have clips here on this radio station of uh, in ontario the the uh, the Prime Minister saying, you know, you just can't uh, you just can't say we're not going to open it. You have to believe in this stuff. I mean, is that the case?
3: Uh, I think Shear also made the point yesterday uh, uh, about—you asked about the prime minister. I I can't see the prime minister—are you talking Bill 21 or abortion? Abortion. Yeah, no, none of them are going to reopen it. And I think Shear used uh, the point uh, uh, that—I did see him make this, that, uh, look, previous conservative governments didn't do this. I'm not about to do it either. And I think he would know— Uh, It it would be the end of the Conservative Party in its current form if they ever went that way. I think he just has to keep saying it, and perhaps he needs uh, other messengers from the party to get out there and and tell that story. People like Lisa Raitt and others who I think are better emotive communicators and might connect more effectively with uh, certain groups of voters.
0: Will we see the Prime Minister continue to use Doug Ford and leverage him to his advantage when touring Ontario?
3: Oh, yeah. Damn right. I mean... What about stuff. now with
0: educational negotiations going on? We've got a QP strike on the verge of that come Monday if they don't get things settled over the weekend. Do you think it's going to make its way into the federal
1: campaign? In For some sure. Way? It
3: did yesterday. Yeah. I saw Doug Ford, or sorry, nobody's seen Doug Ford. He's in witness protection somewhere. But I saw Stephen Lecce having a Twitter... A battle, Actually, of course, the education minister with the prime minister, talking about how the prime minister was already trying to politicize the potential teacher disruption to his own political advantage. I think the federal liberals view this this uh, this potential strike uh, in whatever form it takes on as a big gift for them and allows them to go back at Doug Ford. And, of course, Trudeau will use his teaching experience to talk about how injustice is, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, expect it to be a big weapon, Scott.
0: Andrew Shear, how does he handle that? Uh, He's brought up Kathleen Wynne a couple of times, but uh, obviously the Prime Minister is is mentioning Doug Ford a lot. How does... Uh, Andrew Shear combat that under Jason I understand Jason Kenny is going to be making some Ontario appearances.
3: Yeah, that's right and that was always talked about. I I think Shear is, you know, got to call out the prime minister for being a bit desperate. Um I think Shear has to continue to find ways uh To showcase himself as a leader and not make it a debate about Andrew Shear, Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau is talk about Andrew Shears, Canada. I think he's got to find a way to have the message Jason Kenney gave yeah last weekend, which was you won't be embarrassed by this guy uh, to have greater amplification. He's got that opportunity on Monday night with the English leaders debate coming up, and again on next uh, Thursday with the uh, national french leaders national French debate coming up.
0: So uh, obviously, as you just said, uh, English language debate on Monday. How does the Fre- d- does the French language debate that you have just seen does that uh, uh, does that give you anyone any sort of advantage heading into this second debate or the first one for English?.
3: Uh... Well Trudeau feel confident, so he might get cocky and overreach. He probably feels okay that he survived it. Um, uh, Blanchette may feel good going into it and will just want to survive the English debate. So, you know, they'll all take something out of it. I what will be fascinating to watch is what if any movement do we see over the weekend in Quebec and you know that we'll have a what the debate was last night so we've got three or four days which is not a bad period to gauge whether it's impacted or not and depending if it's had an impact one way or the other, uh, you might see some, uh, certainly next Thursday, you'll see some reprofiling, but it may impact how they play the game on Monday night if the debate has uh, has moved uh, the dial for one party or another.
0: What about adding two more characters into the mix with Elizabeth May <laughs> and Maxime Bernier, uh, especially when it comes to environmental issues? I-, I still can't believe that Elizabeth May was not at the debate in Quebec, considering it's such an environmentally friendly project. Apparently, uh, and she's going toe to toe with the prime minister on many of these issues. So, how will that change in the second one?
3: Well, it, I think it becomes more chaotic. I, uh, though, again, as I say, my felicity with the French language isn't what it should be. I did enjoy the fact there were. L- less people on the stage and they tried to have one-on-one
0: and how uh, will that affect it with having six i mean do you think well lots will get well, lost in the six. sauce Six the, of right it's five moderators too
3: so it's hard to develop a consistent pattern not to take anything away from the moderators they're all excellent journalists but i you know part of these things are about getting a rhythm i don't know if you can get a rhythm in in these circumstances and i think probably andrew Shear wouldn't mind the opportunity to have a bit of a rhythm and Trudeau may be okay if there's no uh, no specific rhythm and he can play to score some points and talking points. So it's a different dynamic and it'll be more chaotic.
0: What about blackface? How will that how will that play out in the Monday? And did it last night?
3: I don't think it really played itself no. out that much last night because it wasn't seen as a, a terrible, a terrible thing in, in Quebec, not to have gross general statement there, but I think you got more of a sense that he'd be forgiven there. I, I, yeah, I think it's going to play out Monday night as as the both the Conservatives and the NDP go after Justin Trudeau for not being as advertised as the Conservative advertising describes it, or as Mr. Singh says, who's the real Justin Trudeau? I think you're going to see a lot more of that, and blackface may
0: get weaved in in that context. Any surprises for you last night?
3: Oh, yeah, Blanchett. Um, You know, this whole block thing has been surprising, because in the summer, at one point, they were dead, and now they're apparently back to life. Uh, he was good. Uh, he has a background in, in media and television, uh, He and he didn't have, I don't know what it was about Gilles Set maybe he was around too long, I used to find him sort of annoying. It was the way he spoke. Mm-hmm. Um the Blanchette, Blanchet, I, I thought, performed very well and is asserting himself as a player in the national election based on what he can deliver in
0: Quebec. What does that mean for the Liberals in Quebec? Uh,
3: good question. Uh, that uh, their seat count may go down. And listen, if the bloc rises at the cost of the Liberals uh, then um, and and they're able to take advantage of the NDP, then for sure we're heading to a minority.
0: Tim, as as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome, Scott. Tim Powers has been with us, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies, Abacus Data, and of course has advised uh, several uh, politicians over the years.